0: Yeah, I don't hear anything either. Rabbi,
1: you are you anything? there?
0: Hello? Catherine's Hello. here. Who else is here?
1: I think we're all and, still uh, here. But... I, I,
0: think all, I think we're all here, and I think it got, we got muted. His <laughs> mic is got, muted. I got,
2: I got unmuted twice. I'm okay now. Okay, okay. there we go.
0: Okay, we're back in. Um, all right.
2: When... Here is our consideration for today. The roots of relational religion that sound doctrine is not enough. There are some people who think that to have a life of faith you just need a collection of all the right viewpoints. I want you to know no that's not true Uh, and we'll see why from looking at our Torah reading for today. So I'd like us to keep a principle in mind. It's a a principle from a a think tank that some friends of mine and I founded, oh, a quarter of a century ago or so. Um, The the organization, the think tank was called Hashivenu. And our sixth of seven core principles was this one, a true piety. The full principle is that because people are made in the image of God, uh, how we treat them as a reflection of our love and respect for him. Therefore, true piety cannot exist apart from human decency. You can't claim to be a holy person and treat people badly. That's my contention. Here's some evidence for that. I'm sure you could come up with more evidence. If someone says I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar for the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has that's a mistake yes no it's not whoever the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen so you see here that love of God and love of others is coordinate That's why Yeshua named two great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. These two great commandments, they interlock, and they form the substance of what real piety is. Both of them together. Let's look at more evidence. True piety cannot exist apart from human decency. Yaakov, Yeshua's brother, said this, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. But notice that you can't have pure and undefiled religion before the Father and treat people with indifference or hostility. So, what is the Torah root of relational Religion. And I would say it is this that we were created for relationship. And now we're reading from our Torah reading for today. God formed a person from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life so that he became a living being. God, out of my planted a garden toward the east in Eden where he put the person me had formed. But what struck me this week looking at this passage that I never really focused on before was the intimacy of this. It's not just that God created Adam, because God created the rest of the universe too. He just created it by his word. He said, let there be light. There was light. He made all the plants and everything to come up out of the ground, and it did. But with humankind, it's more intimate He breathes into man's nostrils the breath of life so he became a living being. The picture I got is giving somebody artificial respiration. If they're effectively dead, you breathe into their nostrils the breath of life, and they come to life again. And that's what God did with humankind. There's an intimacy, there's an intended intimacy between us and God right from the very beginning. So it is right for me. It is right for you. It is right for us to always be seeking an intimate relationship with God and to be leading others into an intimate relationship with God. This creation story as I was telling Elijah and Talia Siegel recently. The creation story is what anthropologists call a myth. But a myth is not, in anthropological talk, a fairy tale. A fairy tale is not true, although I may tell you something true about life. A myth is the primal story of origins of a given culture it's their primary story of origins, which enshrines their their core concepts of what reality is about. And that's what Genesis begins with. And one of the things that this story reveals, and there are so many things it teaches us about what life is, it's extraordinary. But I'll just look at another, a couple more, that... Adonai and I took the person and put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and care for it. That one of the things that makes us human is that we have meaningful work to do. If we don't have anything to do that's meaningful, we lose something of our humanity. Viktor Frankl, the extraordinary Jewish psychiatrist, went into the concentration camps during the Holocaust with the manuscript of a book that the Nazis took away from him. So while he was in the concentration camp, he rewrote the book. I have no idea what he wrote it down on. But he came up with a theory called logotherapy. And I invite you, I encourage you, I urge you to read his book, Man's Search for Meaning. It's one of the great books of the last hundred years. And in Man's Search for Meaning, Viktor Frankl says that unlike um, Freud, who said that man's deepest drive is the drive the will to pleasure. Frankl said, no, it's the will to meaning. He said, people can put up with anything as long as they feel their life has some kind of meaning. He said, in the concentration camps, when somebody came to the point where they said, it's all meaningless, life, there's no purpose in life anymore. He said they were dead in three days. But people who had a purpose, like Sue said, I've got to live long enough to tell people about this. Or whatever their purpose was, they could endure. And this is one of the things that makes us intrinsically human, is meaning, especially meaningful work. But relationship with God is not enough. This is an amazing thing, a rebuke to a certain kind of spirituality that you may have run across, where people just kind of act like, well, it's just me and the Lord, and I don't need anything else. That's not true. It's not true. In Genesis, God says, it isn't good that a person should be alone. What do you mean alone? They've got you, God. You're the infinite God. They're in paradise here. Uh, Adam, is named. You know, he's, got, he's got meaningful work to do. He's got a relationship with you. He doesn't need anything else. Not true. God says it isn't good that a person should be alone. I will make him a companion suitable for helping him. So we need a companion or we need a companionship beyond the companionship that we share with God. That may come as a surprise. If it is surprising to you, it's because your theology has been shaped by a non-biblical assumption. But I'm not rebuking you. You're You're only exhaling the air you've breathed. Relationship with God is not enough. We read this. So from the ground out of night, God formed every wild animal and every bird that flies in the air. And he brought them to the person to see what he would call them. And whatever the person would call each living creature, that was to be its name. So Adam had a relationship with the created order. My wife just got two, two parakeets for us. There was one time, at one time we had 11 pets in our house three dogs a couple of rats a couple of birds a snake i don't know what else we had 11 pets and uh, they only got uh, lonesome for pets so somebody was giving away a couple of parakeets which we now call Bert and Ernie and they're great birds they're extremely talkative and uh, but the birds we established a relationship with those birds by naming them. Naming establishes relationship. We call them bird and Ernie. And here we have Adam and his birds and his Ernie's. He establishes a relationship with the, with the animal kingdom. He gives names to everything. So he gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the air, to every wild animal, but that's not enough for Adam. There was not found a companion suitable for helping him helping him uh, the term is an ezer kenegdo uh, ezer is more of a of, of a of a companion uh, of, a, of a co-laboring companion God has spoken of us as, as our ezer but he's not our subordinate he's not, he's not our helper in the sense of being less than us he is Our partner in life and God is saying that Adam needs a different kind of partner in life besides himself and besides all the all the creatures sometimes I think all I need in life is about three golden retrievers not true let's go on we are made for relationship with others like ourselves and yet unlike ourselves. That's who we're created for. Um, Steve, would you read this paragraph for me?
1: One sec, there we go. Then God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the person, and while he was sleeping, he took one of his ribs and closed up the place from which he took it with flesh. The rib which Adonai God had taken from the person He made a woman person, and he brought her to the man person. The man person said, at last, this is bone from my bones and flesh from my flesh. She is to be called woman because she was taken out of man. This is why a man is to leave his father and mother and stick with his wife, and they are to be one flesh.
2: So Adam needed a companion who was like himself and yet different. But relationships go bad because of how we handle the difference. This picture is a reminder of the story of Adam and Eve's children, Cain and Abel. God looked with favor on Cain's, on Abel's sacrifice of the first sins of his flock and the fat portions thereof. And God did not look with favor on Cain's sacrifice, which was something from the crops. And Cain gets angry and God comes to him and says, look, uh, you're angry at your brother. Uh, Sin is crouching at the door, but you must master it. In other words, if you don't deal well with the difference you have with your brother, If you don't deal well with that, it's going to lead to sin. And he did not deal well with it. And in fact, what he did is what you see in this picture. He killed his brother. But this is something which all of us should keep in mind as a lesson in life. That relationships which are intrinsic to our humanity, relationships with other people who are like us but different from us, How we deal with the differences between us is crucial. And that's when life goes bad, if we deal badly with that. So let's begin to bring this to a focus. What is the Torah root of relational religion? That we were created for relationship with God, with the created order, and with others, with whom we share a kinship and a difference. We are created with kinship and difference. We must learn to always remember the kinship. Remember that person you're arguing with, those people on the other side of the world that you don't even kin- you don't even think about. Remember that all of these are your fellow humans. You share a kinship with them. That must mean something to you. Don't just, you know, in the war, when you're gonna go out and kill your enemy, one of the things they do in the army is all of a sudden, the Vietnamese were not people anymore. They were gooks. They were targets. The Nazis were krauts. You have to dehumanize people in order to kill them. But that's not the good life. In the good life, we must learn to always remember the kinship. No matter how different the people are from you, no matter how different they are, we must always remember that at the root, we're the same breed. We must learn to rightly discipline how we handle the differences how do we handle the fact that people are our kinship, or kin, but they're also different from us? By design, they're different. We need to learn to handle that difference because we're all of us made in the image of God. And true piety cannot exist apart from human decency. If we don't learn to treat people right, to handle our differences with them rightly, to remember that they are cut from the same cloth by the same creator. If we mistreat them or handle them with indifference, we can't claim to have a right relationship with God. We can't. How we regard and treat others, reflects. How regard and treat God? We have this in this famous story of the sheep and the goats. Uh, as a matter of fact, Steve, you got uh, uh, Steve, you got your Bible there. Goals? Um.
1: Yes, I do. Somewhere. Um. It's in the other room. Sorry.
2: Never mind. It's okay. Rusty, do you have your Bible there? Yes. Read Matthew 25, verse 31 to 46. Matthew 25. 31 to
0: 46. 31 to 46. 24. 25. What verses again? 25. Which verses?
1: 31 31 to 46.
0: 31 to 46. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world or I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in, naked and you clothed me. <clears throat> I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did, you, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when, <clears throat> and when did we see you a stranger and invite you in? or naked, and clothed you? And when would you, did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and, to, and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them you did it to me. And then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into eternal fire, which has been prepared from the evil from the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in, naked, and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they themselves also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do this to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life.
2: So we see in this parable of Yeshua's, we see the the connection that how we treat people and how we treat God are inseparable. How we regard and treat others reflects how we regard and treat God. So I wanna look with you at this. We're coming into the election. It's a very acrimonious time. And uh, as I was telling some of you this morning Uh, regardless of who wins the election there's going to continue to be tremendous division in the United States such as we're seeing now regardless of who wins and uh, as servants of God I think we all I know that we all need to remember that even those with whom we have the most diametric um, differences. They're still cut from the same cloth as we by the same creator. We have a kinship with them. And how we handle those differences is the mark of our relationship with God. Because true piety cannot exist apart from human decency. So let's pray for ourselves, please. Uh, I'll ask uh, Melissa, would you be kind enough to lead us in prayer on the basis of what I've just been saying?
1: Lord, um, thank you.